So we're here with the incredible, the amazing, the talented, Dr. Sophie. No, LeBeau. Dr. LeBeau, the LeBeau Show. Right. Uh, well, that's what it's about, that, isn't it? It's, it all it revolves around me. I know. We're actually here. I disguise this as a podcast, but we're really having a therapy session with right. me, which is usually how these things turn out. Always. But I want to go back and I want to get the Dr. Sophie story. And Does maybe it's intimidate a, you or no? I, I like it. Okay. But, but if, if you want to take no, it off, there's no pressure. I love it. So um, maybe we go back. Yep. Was what I was thinking. Charles, a young Charles Sophie. Maybe it was Charlie. Charlie. Did they call it you still Charlie? Is Charlie? Did they call you Charlie? Yeah. Okay. See, now we're getting closer today. But my brother wanted to piss me off. He called me Chuck Roast. Chuck Roast? Yeah. Where is he? In Pennsylvania. The world? Pennsylvania. And that's where you grew up? Yes. You, Outside of Philly. Your brother. And my parents. And your parents. And what were you into as a young guy, as a as a little tyke? What were you up to? What was if you were going to break it down? Mm. G.I. Joe's and Barbies and Ken's. <laughs> a little bit of everything. Okay. Like Ever... My sexuality probably was at that point. <laughs> okay. We figured it out early. Right. What about sports? Any sports? Sports? None at all. Could you imagine? My father's in the Pennsylvania Hall of Fame for football. Okay. Sports? No. I was the drum major of the and band. You completely went the other way. You I said, guess. did he push you to. He pushed my brother. To... Okay. And so he went all in on sports? No, because he was short and fat. Okay. It didn't work. So there wasn't any athletes besides dad? No, but I had the body and all the talent and I wasn't into it. Gotcha. So I decided to spin a baton and march down the street. Were you really? Yeah, with the big hat and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Band. I was going to be in the marching band. Were you? I moved to California. Yeah. And, um, and I had a pocket trumpet, which I don't know if you, the little yeah. red thing. Yeah. And um, I got there and they had these shoes that I had to put on, these special shoes in the right. band. And that was the last day that I ever played the trumpet. And I'm like, I don't like the shoes. I'm going to go just continue with basketball. I missed out on a whole, I feel like a whole. You straight. Well, at the, <laughs> at the time I made the, the basketball decision. Good for you. I did, you know. The shoes, you know, because were you, would you have been excited about the shoes at that yes. time? That would have been like the most exciting of part. Of course. Okay. What about school? Were you uh, excelling, brainiac, super into it, or not at all? Oh, very ADD. Okay. So I, if I did it, I did it well, but I didn't want to do it. So I was in the plays, all the, I had all their leads in the plays. Got you. So I was into that stuff. Could you have ever imagined back then that you would be where you are today? Did you have any like, this is what I think I'm into in the future? Did you come out here for acting? No. Like how, so you're doing plays, so that's what made me think of it. Yeah. How did the transition go from being in Pennsylvania to ending up here? And this is, we're spanning a lot of years, I feel like, but how did you, Many. how did you end up? Fucker. <laughs> well, no, no, to getting, when you started your career. Um, well, I mean, I was not at the, I was acting out a lot. I had a lot of bad behavior, drugs, playing around, feeling, you know, my sexuality, all that stuff yeah. in a tiny, tiny town. My father was a coal miner and so we didn't have a lot and it was hard because I'm trying to figure myself out. My brother was a perfect student and did everything right and here I am going the opposite direction. I was challenging, I'm sure, for them. So I didn't want to go to college, but they insisted that I do. So I went because he was he had a full scholarship and he was going to medical school and I'm like barely, you know, my grades were OK, but I wasn't really into it yeah. and so I got thrown out so I went to another school I had to go to the, through the summer to make up for what I didn't do that year and then I continued and I didn't know what I wanted to do I, I didn't know what I wanted to do so my parents were forcing me to do something yeah I applied to pharmacy school and I saw that it was going to be as almost as much work as going to medical school mm. and I was like why not just do that then so I did that and I went to med school and um, the first two years is book work and the second two years is out in the field. So the second year is psychiatry class, but I was a male dancer at night. Okay. So, I so would, you were working. Okay. And I Paying would miss the class in the morning and I flunked it because of attendance. So I had to oh. take it in the summer. Okay. I ended up liking it. And that's how I became a psychiatrist. Wow. All because you missed that. And then you went back and did it in the summer. Yeah. Well, it worked out how it was supposed I to, guess. it seems like. And then I came out here and loved, I, well, I really wanted to go to college to be an actor. And they were like, no, you got to oh, so do did. something. Okay. And so I had an acting scholarship and they were like, no, you got to go do something that you can always make money with. I'm like, so then when I came out here, I just worked hard for like five or six, seven years. And then I had a patient 
who was famous and went to jail and I mean it's Paris Hilton it was all over the news and my picture with her and all that stuff and blew me up Wow so that's what really accelerated it through the stratosphere is this unbelievable yeah unbelievable I was at a uh, kindergarten luncheon for my son where we sat with other parents and I sat next to this doctor who's a pediatrician who's a celebrity kind of pediatrician and I just said you know I'm opening my practice if you need a psychiatrist who makes house calls let me know and like five months later he called me he's like can you go see this patient of mine he told me who, what, who she was I didn't really know I went and saw her and then after she became my patient a month later she went to jail for DUI and so I was the only one going in and out of jail mm. and so the press picks it up and the media and blows it up Hmm. So when that happens, how does that change the trajectory of your life? Now, just your, like you're saying, like people knew you, they're like wanting you to work with them, high profile yeah. people or, and or all negative, like good and bad, you know, people are ripping you apart, they, your credentials, everything you've ever done, anybody you like made it made angry in your past comes out, all that stuff. Yeah. But it was good because then, you know, I was on this show or on that show and just getting my message out, which I didn't even know I had one. Yeah. Because at that point I was like just a regular person seeing patients. Yeah. And then I had a book deal and wrote a good first book and did well and just kept building. How do you feel like dealing with people that have negative things to say about you? Because when that happened, it was before social media yeah. was to the level that it is now where it's like you could go and donate uh you know a thousand dollars to a good cause today and yeah. they're gonna people will be like well why yeah. didn't you give it to this cause right. or why only a thousand and so you, you really can't win with the internet right. and trolling and right. all that how do you see that as a as a way to deal with that for yourself or i guess patients or anyone yeah. out there listening it's hard it's hurtful people that write that stuff i don't think they realize that some people do read them and it's hurtful and so that was brutal because I had never experienced anything like that. So I'm like reading comments. I had to stop because I couldn't even like function. Taking that stuff in, like, is it right? Are they, th is that, should I think about that? Like terrible stuff. So hmm. since then I don't read comments. I don't read anything. I don't look at any DM, nothing. Like I have somebody else who does it. Yeah, I know. Cause w I was DMing what I yes, thought yes, was yes, you. Yes. And they're like, this is the team. Yeah, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll figure it out. So yeah, I know text, you're living your words. You're not me. just saying just it. Text me. Yeah. <laughs> just, just text me. It was brutal. It is, it is such a difficult thing. And, and that kind of, I guess we can kind of jump into that from there of when it comes to your practice, obviously you're doing amazing things. You're working with different people. You're on all these big shows all the time. You're regular, this and that you, what is your official title? Well, I think it might be former now yeah. for the County of Los Angeles family and youth amazing yeah. guy it's, you know what's the last it's part the department of children and family service it's the Sorry, foster service. care system yes yes so i ran that for 20 years integrating the health and the mental health aspects of these children as they enter the system and i designed a system so when they enter they have the same entry points they have the same expert doctors looking at them because before when we took them away from their family they could go to any doctor and near the foster parent that we give them to well, that doesn't mean they're a pediatrician. It doesn't even mean they're a board certified doctor. They could be anybody who's looking at a bruise and saying, yes, that's the parents hit them. Well, if the parents didn't hit them and we're taking that kid based on that doctor who's not trained with that expertise, we're making bad decisions and destroying a family. Yeah. And the opposite is true where no, it, that they did fall, the parents didn't hit them and we let the kid go back and then the kid dies. So I standardized the entry points for these kids because there's 40,000 kids. Yeah. And so they got seen by pediatric forensic doctors who are trained to look at abuse, you know, age, a bruise, age, a fracture, be able to put a story together that makes sense and be able to stand up in court or give us clear information about should a kid go back home or not. So I standardized that and then how they go through the system for their health and mental health care because they never even got mental health care when they started. Yeah. What a ministry in, in with COVID and everything that happened with the pandemic and how that just bad. skyrocketed and it made it worse because our workers couldn't go to the homes to see these kids. They had to do it over zoom. Well, if the camera isn't looking all through the house, everything's fine. Right. Look in that closet where Johnny's tied up. We can't see that. So it just, but our numbers fell like our child abuse hotline gets about 18 to 20,000 calls a month. Of, from mandated reporters. Los Angeles County, 40,000 kids, that many yeah. calls. Yeah. 
during COVID, it went down to like 6,000 because they weren't in school. So those mandated reporters weren't calling. Parents certainly weren't calling. Nobody was leaving to see these kids that weren't eating or being bathed or cared for. So the numbers went down, which is great, but not realistically. And so now we're cleaning up, going into homes, looking and seeing the things we couldn't see before. And I imagine that's part of what brought you wanting to do this book. What, yes. what was the driving yes. force for you behind um, well, putting this out there to help parents? Dr. Phil and I like are very disturbed by the, how this world is really transject, you know, how it's moving forward. It's really scary. And the core of a family has fallen apart. Like the values and the traditions that don't really have meaning and they have to have something because what are you going to fall back on? I mean, even you said, you know, your family is important to you. Yeah. I mean, what value is that if like you don't really are you're not connected like there's got to be some glue that you stick to so that was the you know the reason to put something like that together and to give people something simple and easy ways to build something even if they don't have something now or to take what they have and build it and strengthen it and live it yeah you know one thing that i picked up from it and i do have to say this you are a guy that took the time to read it for Audible. So I got to yes, listen to I your did. voice and I Dr. Phil's, which was great. Because yeah, yes, yes. I didn't do that on mine. They told me how many hours, and I'm like, uh, Yeah, I was. Oh, I'm like, Oh my extra gosh. ADD. Yeah. How, how many hours? Was it like 14 hours oh, or 20 was, hours? It was or a whole week, eight yeah. hours a day. Eight hours. It's a full time job yes. for a week. Yes. That's I was commitment. Ready to scream in a small space. Hopefully, in the future, the AI uh, bots Hopefully. can help us a little bit Hopefully. with that. You've been on enough things, it has it your voice. Hard. Um, so, one thing that I really liked, and I feel like it's almost with anything in life, um, the one of the lessons we were just talking about with our kids was taking 100% ownership for your life. Yes. The good, the bad, and the yes. ugly. And how, unless you do that, you're always going to be blaming. And, and you had a right. quote, and I hear it in my head of how you said it. It was basically, now I'm going to mess it up that I said that, but it was basically you feeling sorry about how your parents raised you or your past and sitting around isn't going to help you or right. anybody else. So right. don't waste any time doing that. Right. And, and one of the first things that you talk about in there is it starts with you. Yeah, parenting so you, begins with you. Yeah, so can you talk about that a little bit and why that is so important? And it seems, I totally get you're being influenced by your lens. So sure. how does parenting start with you as the parent? Well, most people think oh, I'm gonna have a child. I'm gonna do the exact opposite of what my mother and father did because I couldn't stand what they did. And they just do the opposite of what was done for them. And they run right into doing the same thing and that their parents did because they don't understand themselves. Yes, your parents might have done certain things you didn't like or ways of discipline or whatever, but until you understand you, it's not going to translate into anything different for the next generation. You're going to just repeat patterns and patterns and patterns because even though you logically think I'm going to do the opposite, you do emotionally what feels right and what feels right is that pathology you don't like. Mm. So you're repeating it without even knowing it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you got a nightmare on your hands and you're like, how did this happen when I was doing the opposite of my... No. Yeah. you got to understand yourself. It's like when you're on an airplane, people are amazed that they say, put the bag, the oxygen on yourself first, then your child. Well, if you can't breathe, what good are you going to be to your child who's breathing and you're not? Yeah. Who's leading? Yeah. You're a role model. And if you don't clean house and know what you want and who you are and how to go forward, forget it. Yeah. Yeah. You got to put that oxygen mask on first. I just did an first. Instagram video the other day. Kids don't come with instructions. Yeah. So I was opening a Lego box with no instructions, trying to yeah. put it together. Like you got it. It's like, you just do it, you know? It's like whatever f seems right. Well, where you're pulling that from has to be a pretty good understood slate. Because if it's just old baggage, forget it. You're going to repeat patterns. And I think it's interesting what you said there of sometimes the pattern is you doing the opposite of what your parents right. did because you're like, I hated this. Logically, so now you're trying, like your heart's in the right place, but it's a, a bad practice. Right. Because your brain is thinking, I'm doing the opposite, but your heart isn't cleared up. Your emotions are not cleared. Yeah. You said a second ago, um, role model. And that's such uh, an interesting and like powerful topic. How much do you think it is that kids take what you say to them versus how much you role model or um, mirror to them in your in your kind of take on and what you've seen with all well, the people honestly, you I watch with. what you do and you see you are an impact on kids. And I mean, they're like sponges especially if it's not somebody like in their family they will hear things like you can't imagine like i'm not young and i can't imagine you can't imagine how many 14 to 18 year old patients i have that just crave my input 
about their relationships, about school issues, about the, well, they don't even want to talk to their parents about any of that stuff, which is normal. But, you know, they want somebody that they trust, that they could look up to and feel as a role model who will give them honest advice. So they suck it up like a sponge. Isn't that crazy? It's wonderful if they have the right people around them. And sometimes they don't want to hear that from their parents. They'll hear the same thing from me, but they won't hear it from them. I just had an example the other day. The parents were telling this kid something about his girlfriend. He couldn't stand hearing it. It was like, just leave, leave, leave. Yeah. And they said, well, okay, we'll leave. And you talk to Dr. Sophie alone. They left. I said the same thing to him and he's, we had a dialogue. Genius. He's a genius. Yeah. No, it's just funny? like, he yeah. just, the emotions that come up between family. Yeah. Just normal. It's, um, that's something, kind of how this all kind of started. I was traveling and doing basketball and I was getting to play with Alan Iverson and kids would come up afterwards. We'd be in a different country. They yeah. didn't even speak English, but they were so excited. Yeah. And what I've learned since then is that what you said, they want to be seen, they want to be heard and they yeah. want to be felt like they are genuinely, genuinely cared about. And a lot of times it won't be with that parent because they're bumping heads because it's your mom or well, your you dad. Have a history yeah. of conflict and discipline and all that stuff. And I mean, what parents don't understand, and I am a parent, I I'm guilty of it myself, just listen. If you just listen, they don't want to hear anything. Just listen and let them unload and unload and unload. Because if they don't unload here, they're going to unload out there. non-judgmental. Right. That's what you're doing as what you do. You listen to these kids. Isn't that funny? That's the biggest thing I've heard. Like sometimes I'll have that too, where I meet someone, I'm like, I really liked that person. And, and I walk away like, wow, what a cool guy. And I'm like, what did I like about them? And it's like, oh, they listened right. and they liked me. <laughs> like, right. like, oh, it's like, right. you know, they, they make fun of. Just listen. Yeah. And leave that conversation, know more about your child than they know about you. Yeah. What, what are some of the things you said earlier, you and Dr. Phil are concerned about the next generation or how things are moving forward in the future? I feel like I feel the same way in a lot of things that I'm seeing. Yeah. And I'm just curious, like what are, what are some of those things that you guys are most concerned about? Is it the, the mental health stuff with uh, depression, anxiety, self-harm? Is it narcissism with the phones and social media? Or what well, is it that you're- all of those things have stemmed out of the fact that there's no, the, the erosion of a family unit. If there was a solid family unit, a lot of that stuff would not just be going on to those degrees, at least. There'd be controls in homes, there'd be value in homes. You know, people would be, families would be doing things together. The value of eating together would be higher, you know, doing hobbies together, you know, that kind of stuff. Dealing with your emotions, teaching your kids how to deal with them once you know how to deal with them, all that kind of stuff. Eating regularly, sleeping regularly all of that would not be eroding the family unit. And if the family unit wasn't eroded, then we wouldn't have all this trickle out effect of these behaviors and kids that are out of control that are medicating with weed because it's so easy to get, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so that's the stuff that bothers me the most. The stuff that bothers him is this woke stuff. Mm -hmm. And so he has a book coming out in about a month or two. It's going to be a good one. Yeah. And it's really trying to take that apart and get the world back to where it was, where everybody's not afraid to be themselves, yeah. but within a parameter. Yeah. It is interesting how we look back and we're judgmental of people. It's like, well, if we lived in those times, we would probably be guilty of doing the same things. Right. Exactly. And so it's hard to not look through it through a lens of like, yeah, we kind of know better now. Like I saw something on Howard Stern the other day and they're saying about these problematic things he said. And you look back, and you're like, yeah, that's that's pretty bad. Right. But everyone was making those right. kinds of jokes. But that's the important thing. You can look back and learn. Yeah. But to continue doing it, knowing it's not healthy or right, or it's not leading our generations to the right place. I mean, that's the scary part. Yeah. And people are not really slowing it down. That's yeah. the problem. And COVID made it really bad. How long do you think we'll continue to see the effects? And, and, I'll, and I'll jump in and say this real quick. I spent like the last year doing about 10 to 15 calls a day with parents, uh, generally moms, um, with all the issues that going on with their kids. And it was an eye-opening experience, to say the least, of dealing with all those types of things. And this was during the pandemic and, and past pandemic. Um, how long do you see these effects and negative? Are they able just to, all right, we're good, and bounce back in a year, five years? Or is this something that is going to affect their development onward into adulthood? It's going to affect their development onward for a long time. Academically is one way, is one pattern, and socially is another. 
And academically, we put our kids so far behind, it's not even funny because they didn't learn at all. Yeah, yeah we, I think we, if the one thing we did learn was that people couldn't learn in Zoom classrooms. It's terrible. A few kinds of kids could learn because, you know, ADD kids could learn better because it was single and right. I would have learned better. You and me. But other kids, they just needed that input, that socialization. They needed the teacher and they, they didn't get it. Yeah. So we put them behind. So what's going to, you know, affect SAT scores in college applications and accept all that stuff. So it's a trickle down effect. Socio or socially, I mean, it's really bad. I mean, the levels of depression and anxiety in children is it's higher every day because kids have anxiety to begin with. Now it's just amplified. They didn't leave their home. They were isolated for so long that to pull them out of their home now is creating such separation, anxiety and panic. They can't. Besides that, they're addicted to their phones because that's how they've learned to socialize. Yeah. So to talk to a human being is terrifying. So if you had a kid who had a little bit of OCD tendencies, they have them like a lot now. And you know, a kid who like had phobias of something, they have them a lot. I mean, or somebody who had a lot of anxiety is now depressed. I mean, so it's pushed it all up. So it's going to be, it's a lot. Just compounding. And, and the problem is there's not a lot of resources and treatment there's a there's everybody's overbooked and there's nowhere to get help yeah yeah i saw so many of these uh parents that come to us that are saying like they can't even get out of the car to go into school right and i'm like wow that's that's pretty extreme and then they can't even get out of the car to go into the grocery store right. or to go into starbucks right. they're like would you go in for me or can right. you come in with me and these are like seniors in right. high school right. uh yeah they're gonna move away from home yeah, how are they going to do any of these things? I mean, I have the same situation in my home. My son yeah. was a senior. Okay, I was going to ask you. So he didn't have a prom. He didn't have a graduation. graduation none of it. We graduated driving through the parking lot in a car. Yep, yep. It's demoralizing. Yeah. Even though, yes, it was the best we could do. Yeah. And then the next year when they did have a graduation, they didn't call them back to be part of it. So he just like they just missed it all. Yeah. So the launching was not right. The rites of passages didn't happen. And these kids, it affects their self-esteem. Yeah. And they're depressed and they feel disconnected. Like they fell apart from their four years of family they were with early and were just thrown out somewhere. Yeah. So it just isn't good. It's like it's all been shattered and we're trying yeah, to put these pieces yes, back together yes. without, without really knowing help. Yeah, with no, people not really knowing. And, that, and that's what I love about your, your book, Dr. Sophie, is you have a lot of practical steps because a lot of things can be high level, but you have like, hey, here's what you need to do to do some self-examination as a parent yeah. to start with you. Build your family for dummies. Yeah, building your family for dummies, exactly. And and, uh, and this is and this, this is the manual. So It is. I, There's a map in there. There's a road map to do it. Can you talk, I know you've talked about it a hundred times so we can keep it sure. uh, short, but could you, I want to get it from the horse's mouth here today, sweep. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell people about sweep and the Sophie method for that? Yes. Sweep is a acronym for the five key areas of your life, sleeping, working, eating, emotional expression, and play. Sleeping is quality of sleep, quantity of sleep. You go to sleep at night, you sleep well. Also, you do it for yourself individually and do it for your house. Do you value sleep in your house and how does it work for you as an individual or your children? Work for you as an adult. Do you have eight hours a day of valuable time that you spend, whether you're at home keeping your home or you're out working? Are you happy for the most part and is it meaningful? Yep. yep. For children, it's schoolwork and it's their social and their academic work. And gotcha. where is it for your kids? Where their Check attention it out. is. You know, if they're not functioning in school academically, figure it out. They're not learning for a reason. Find the educational setting that's going to speak to them because a lot of kids need a visual setting. A lot of other kids need an auditory. Figure it out. Don't let them sit there till eighth grade and it falls apart. Yeah. And socially, if they're struggling, figure it out. The first E is eating. Do you eat good food? Are you feeding your kids good food? Are you eating regularly as a family? And are you eating regularly during the day? Because your blood sugar, if it's not where it needs to be, will add to a mood and anxiety. The other E is emotional expression. Do you deal with your own emotion? Do you know how to deal with them? If not, learn. Teach your children. Intimacy. Where is your marriage? Are you having the intimacy and sex you should be having? Is it where it needs to be? Is your relationship a priority? Like, what is it? Yep. And then the P is play, hobbies. Hobbies are key for people to survive. Things you do by yourself and things you do with others. Most kids don't have, most parents don't have children that have hobbies. Most parents don't have hobbies. Yeah. Other than the phone, is the phone a hobby? No. Yeah. 
That's what I want to talk about next. I feel like you have a lot of passion about the screen time in the phone because I, I feel like it is just ruining brains. It's, it's away. I, I went right probably about the start or a little before the pandemic. I went and I unfollowed everyone on there um, and I just completely took myself off. Part of it was I felt like I was comparing myself to other people. Right. Like, why are they getting that opportunity and on that show? And I'm not, Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm worked harder and I deserve it more. Why is this person happy in the perfect relationship? Seeing all these highlights, right? And I was like, I want to do this and do a little social experiment and just take my attention away from this thing that's, it's wasting my time as well. It's a drug. It's a drug. It, dopamine's hitting. And, um, and then I also want to be able to take from this experience and be able to share it with other people, with the kids at the right. schools we go to and hands down the best decision I ever why? made for why? my own happiness yeah, why? for my own health um, it allowed me to focus on myself yeah. and not be distracted by all these things that don't matter right. and stop comparing myself right. and I feel like a big you know athlete competitive is one of the advantages is while someone else is taking their phone and seeing right. what Kevin Hart had for lunch yesterday right. I'm doing push-ups or I'm learning about right. family values yeah. or getting smarter yeah, and better shape yourself a hundred percent in that in that work or in that time and yeah. I feel like um, well, that I just see it being so destructive because I'm looking at these kids and these families that that we talk to and work yeah. with and I'm like hmm I could tell you the key to turning all this around your anxiety your stress, all yeah. these things are going on, but you won't do it because it's going to involve addicted. you putting your phone down. They're addicted. So I want the Dr. Sophie slant on social media and phones. What do you advise parents when it comes to setting up boundaries or any of the things that maybe age that you'd say is okay to have a phone? Just anything on that. I'm just so curious of what, of what your thoughts are. I always tell parents like, what age do you want to give your kid a phone? Because like, unless they really need it for safety, they shouldn't have it before like middle school when they have better evolved brains that there's some of their judgment is in place. Some of their impulse control is there because it's all frontal lobe stuff. So if you give somebody that kind of a toy or whatever, they're going to go berserk on it if they don't have the brain capacity to mod moderate what they're doing. Yeah. So, Middle school, probably unless it's an absolute necessity for safety. And yeah. then it's a burner phone to just track them. Yes. Yeah. You know, and uh, accounts, social media accounts, like, no, like maybe, you know, middle school, late middle school, but like, and just because the friends are doing it doesn't mean that your children have to do it. That's the value of a family. What do you value in your family? And if you stick to that and teach your children, this is not what our family does we do this we value this they value that and whatever they want is whatever you know teach your children the value of that because in 20 years they're going to be so grateful you taught them that but today they might be mad but it's okay yeah you have to be you can't be their friend they're so, not going to be on drugs and yeah. trying to hurt themselves yeah and so you know like middle school and then when you give your child a phone it should be a written contract that you work out with them that they know that you own it you pay for it it's a gift yeah. It's a privilege. Yeah, not a right. Yeah. Correct. And that you will have the right to open it up at any time and go through it so that they're not ambushed and feel they can't trust you and you're not going to sneak around and do it. And you're going to tell them, I will tell you the day, like, I'm here to look at your phone so you can be with me if you want. You know, I'm not going to sneak around and do it so they trust you and agree to the contract. And the contract has to be what hours of the day, when it's not going to exist, where it's not at meals or at a certain hour of the night, it gets turned off. I tell parents all the time, turn the Wi-Fi off at night. Yeah. Make it a brick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, turn the phones off and they don't, you know, or, or, you know, you pay the bill, you can get on the app for the whatever, AT&T or whatever, and you can turn the phone off cellularly and then turn your Wi-Fi off at home. Yeah. So they can't get on on their laptops or this or whatever. Well, now it's affecting the, the S and sweep because they're right. up all night. That's the point. And like or, you said, turn off the thing because right. they'll download it before. Right. Yeah, we've had that too. Right. Yeah. I know all the tricks. I mean, that's the thing. The other thing is what people don't understand is when you're looking at that or you're just sitting here, your brain is working. So when you're stimulated in good and bad ways, reading this stuff or feeling insecure or feeling like angry that somebody got something you didn't get, whatever, you're moving your brain chemistry. So yeah, you turn your phone off at nine o'clock like the contract says, but 
it's till 11.30 till your chemistry starts to trickle and, and balance. Well, you need, you should have been asleep an hour and a half ago. Yeah. So like, imagine, like parents need to understand the after effect and the trickle down effect chemically in your brain from that stuff. I struggle with it as an as an adult, yeah. just like I did with social media. We were saying like, oh man, it has to be, for me, it has to be out of the room. Yeah. I want it out of the room. A certain right. time it goes off, I put on dorky little glasses yeah. that are like blue light yeah. glasses, yeah. like to really slow down. And it, it still yes. can be a, a struggle. Yes. You know, the thing you hit on the head that made me smile when I was fist bumping you is so many of the, the parents are like, yeah, but all the other kids have Snapchat and all this. Well, it, to me, it's like, it feels like in today's world that the parents have let the kids have the upper hand in yeah, who's the boss. Power. Do you do you see that? Yes. Do you feel like that? There's a power differential. That's yes. why there's no family values. Yes. And that's another reason you need to really reinstate your family in a foundation and a traditions and values because you have no power. Your kids are running your show. Yeah. You're afraid of them or you want to be their friend or you're worried about whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter who's doing what. It's what do you like. So all these kids that have guns, you're going to go buy your kid a gun because somebody else bought their kid a gun. No. Yeah. So why are you letting <laughs> your kid have a Snapchat if it's not right for you? Yeah. What are your thoughts on Snapchat for kids? Well, it's OK, but the problem is parents can't see what's done there. Yeah. And kids know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I wonder why they'd want to have the thing course, that disappears and you can't see anything. Course. Yeah. Do you know how many parents I see that don't even know their kids have a Snapchat? Or they think they've told their kid you can't have it so their kid doesn't have it but has two of them? Yeah. And they just get on the other kid's phone or they log into a browser yeah. and they're able right. to get it whenever they want. But you can download an app that you can hide things in. Yep. So if you look at their screen, you won't see it. Yeah parents need to know all these tools yeah and you and you got them that's great I'm like oh yeah you know how they're dodging because they're so smart yes. they'll, they'll outsmart you but if you aren't on top of it there are great apps you can put on your own phone as a parent to monitor your kids everything yeah. everything yeah which ones do you recommend for that they're on my um, Instagram but I'll okay. send them to you and you can perfect post yeah them. we'll link them. and they're free yeah yeah that's the best part about it yeah so okay so but phones don't want to know yeah because then they have to do something it's a lot of work this parenting thing apparently of uh, course it's the hardest <laughs> job you're ever gonna love isn't, isn't isn't that crazy though like you have this thing you i you know you have to get a driver's license to to, right. to drive around. how are you just able to create life and that's and and then you see how you were raised you don't realize till you're older like oh my parents had no clue what they were doing they right. are just a couple of in love right. kids running right. around in alaska and right. it was a cold you right. know winter night next thing you know you're popping right. out and 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 then you're like oh I need to like figure these things out from what they did good and from what they did bad and right. you're still figuring it out um, do you feel like it's a lot harder to be a parent today than it was 20 years ago 40 years ago honestly it's not that much harder it's just that there's many more distractions yes and people are given into all that because they're not evolved themselves as human adults so it's hard for them to be adult parents because they're still they you know, straddle adolescents and adulthood yeah. themselves. <laughs> yeah. And these phones only tickle their brains and make them act silly and do things like cheat on their partners and get on dating apps while they're married with three kids and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's what's frustrating about the foster care system. We get called to a home because children are either abused or neglected. And then we take those children and we don't want to, but we have to. We have to find places for them and all that. And then they go and have another child. Yeah. Ah! Yeah. Yeah. It's the ones that have the most chaos. And then they're like, oh, why do you have eight kids? Like, you, maybe you need to get some other yeah. things in yes. order. And, but that's, and that's wonderful. Uh, people do have children, but let's just do it the right way and manage it. Yeah. You know, one thing that I'm seeing is there's parents that have kids that are stressed, difficult situations, like that's that was one of the things as a speaker that just broke my heart as, as kids would come up to me afterwards sharing their stories because I was a little vulnerable on stage and I don't have that crazy of like a story, just an underdog story and bully and that kind of thing that most people can um, relate, relate to, yeah. right? But the there's parents today that are like, well, because of the stress and the anxiety, they say when they smoke weed, it uh, calms them down. And so now they're in this position where they're like, well, I don't know if I should be doing this or not. I feel like you have a pretty firm stance. What's your take on substances in the teen brain and what parents should do when it comes to that kind of situation? Well, 
pretty clear for me. I mean, the first chapter of my book is a story about a family, a parent who felt it was okay to start to buy her son weed because he started to dabble with it and felt better. And they noticed that he seemed better, so they bought it. And they bought it and bought it and bought more and bought more. And before you know it, he's addicted. And then they present to me. And I'm like, well, why are you buying your son marijuana? Like, on top of that, there was a family, very strong family genetics of addiction and mental health disorders. So when you connect all those dots for people, they're like, oh my God. And so my stance is like, their brains are not done developing till 25. I'm not saying be sober till you're 25, but yes, kids need to experiment. They need to have parameters. You need to tell them what's okay and what's not and what you're gonna tolerate. And random drug tests, there's nothing wrong. Just like when you give them a phone, you give them a car key or they get their license or they're starting to go out. Understand when you come home, there could be the day without warning that I'm gonna randomly drug test you. Yeah. And so, no, they should not have drugs or alcohol. Yes, they're gonna have a, a wine with dinner, at a sip of their wine, whatever, but no, there's, there's no. Yeah, dude, I love it because you're instilling these principles into these family values I that most people-, people are, are listening. Well, there, it just seems like a lot of people don't have that plumb line because of like, what is right and what's wrong. And so when their kids say, well, why are you doing it? They can't stand up and say, because I'm an adult and this is the rule, and this is, you know, here's the science behind it. Here's the legal thing. They don't want to do that. Yeah. You don't know how many, how many times kids say to me, why is, like, why is my father smoking weed when he's screaming at me for smoking weed? Yeah, yeah. But the, but the kid doesn't, the father doesn't know the kid knows the father's smoking weed. Mm. Yeah, they the see everything. The kids well, see yes, and pick up on like, so everything when you don't know. If you're not going to be an know. authentic person and a parent, your kids will see through it and forget it. You've lost credibility, respect, or trust from your child. So don't expect your kid to trust you. But parents need to, like, clear it up themselves because you're like again you're a role model so your kid finds your drugs in your nightstand what yeah like when a kid comes to me and says why is it okay and then i say to the parents you just sat here for two hours telling me how horrible it was your kid you didn't tell me you were doing it hmm when so. trust has been broken like you're saying that when the parents aren't being authentic they haven't done the self-work they're they're not modeling the right things what are some things that they can do to help rebuild that trust in a child mm -hmm. won't get themselves together and it's their behavior that speaks people think words speak no behavior speaks words don't matter so it's what you do so you can't say do as i say not as i do like forget it yeah follow through change yourself get, be authentic be open and vulnerable with your child and let them see who you really are, because that's what's going to teach them how to deal with them, themselves when they're that age, and they have to be real. But if you're afraid to be real, then you got to figure out why you're sh ashamed to be yourself in front of your child. Isn't it funny too how a lot of those times when it's you and your most, you know, unglorious, unpleasant moments, those are the the ones that your child is going to connect with. Like, oh. They make mistakes too, but yes. when you own it, like you're saying, you're like, right. hey, like, yeah, this is something that I've struggled with and this is why right. I don't want that for you. Or I've seen this happen right. Right. In, uh, in, in my life. And we think, right. I did that as a speaker early on. It's like, all right, I need to tell them about the things I've accomplished and why I'm qualified because you're insecure right. those things. Right. When truthfully, the thing that gets the kids the most is when I talk about being the shortest human. kid in school. Yeah. yeah, and being a human and messing right. up and people right. making fun of me right. and all that other stuff right. is just like whatever. Right. But I, and I can connect right. with that thing. Right. And so using those moments yeah, is a powerful that's tool. That's why I don't want, like, I always try to let people know who I, who I am and I'm real and I've had struggles and pain and, you know, it wasn't easy dealing with my own self and sexuality and my family and cult, all that. You know, yeah. got to be real. Yeah. Or it doesn't work. Yeah. What's, what's, would you say is the, the biggest thing that you see parents doing that's a mistake today? What, what's the biggest mistakes that parents are making? shying away from something that they're scared or fearful of when they see in their child mm. and they ignore it 
and they think it's no big deal because it's so upsetting to them and uh, you know doesn't feel good and they're scared of how to deal with it or they deny it it's not that bad or no that's not really what happened that's what happened if your gut's telling you something go smell it out because the longer you put it off the bigger it's getting and the worse it's going to be and harder to fix mm. Denial, I, denial, denial. That's something you were talking about in the book as well yeah. is trust your gut. And I've, right. I've learned as I've grown like, oh my gosh, that is such an important part of thing it of is. like, my gut is telling me right. this and I need to listen to it. Right. So yeah. same thing with parenting. You've watched this child, you've raised and reared this child. You know the look when they're trying to tell you a story. Follow it. It's not, they're, they're, you know, yeah. they're not that hard to read. Yeah. You're just ignoring it. Yeah. What can you do if you feel like your child is checking out porn or maybe has a porn addiction? Um, back to the phone and the screen things. When you said having those unpleasant conversations or shying away from them, it made me think of a, a situation. Yeah. So when a parent discovers or thinks maybe there's uh, the kids withdrawing and on the phone or, or whatever that makes them think that that gut is telling them that there could be a pornography issue, what? how should they handle a situation like that? Well, be sure, as much as sure you can be, that that's what they're doing. Yeah. If you're monitoring and you see it or whatever. But also look at the age of the child. I mean, some of it is appropriate behavior with a tool like a phone to explore their sexuality, their desires, what is it like, all that. So within a parameter, it's not a horrible thing, but you got to let them know that you know and that it's okay because you don't want to shame them and think that they're dirty and all that mm -hmm. stuff. And then, you know, you want to see the parameters again. and give them a little rope and see if they hear you and they adhere to it and they're not doing it all day long and if they are then you got to pull back because you also have to look then is there an addiction genetics that might be getting stirred up was there sexual abuse that you know they're exploring through that like so there's different things to look at then when they're not listening to the parameters you've set turns out communication is kind of a big deal. It's the only thing. It's all <laughs> yeah. you can do. Yeah. Um, you know, you earlier were saying about how you created this system for Los Angeles County. And it's such a tricky thing because you don't want to pull the kid out of a home that isn't safe or something is going on. Right. If it if, unless you absolutely have to, because that's going to have a really crazy impact right. on everyone involved. Right. But at the same time, if you go the other way and they're there too long, something horrible can happen. So you almost, it's almost impossible to get it right 100% of the time, 75% right. of the time, 50%. Right. So you're doing your best. Right. I see a similar situation when it comes to parents dealing with kids threatening self-harm or cutting their, right. cutting themselves or these different things. And so many times it's like, in my mind, I'm thinking it just seems like a cry for attention in this particular scenario with the information that I'm given, not doing the thorough, right. all those parameters and testing that you guys are doing. If you are a parent, you find a note, you read a text, you they say something or they're very direct about it. How can you decide and handle that situation of not going overboard and taking them to, you know, to the uh, psych ward or to the hospital? or maybe sometimes that something like that needs to be done. How do you walk in those uncharted waters? It's very hard. That's where parents are scared. And I understand yeah. I would be scared too. But you know, if it's the first time, you gotta take it for real. Okay. And then you gotta, you know, without overreacting, try to sit and engage. Again, listen, listen, listen. Because that's really what they need to do. Unload and talk. Cry, talk about whatever. Make it emotionally safe for them to do that. If that's not with you, then somebody. So assess it that way first without re overreacting. And if there's anything that's concerning through all of that, help them feel comfortable that it's okay to go talk to somebody that's a professional. It doesn't have to be that day in the ER, but it could be where you're gonna find a therapist and you keep engaging with your child until then. If it's the third or fourth time and it's a starting to seem like a pattern of coping and behavior, Past behavior is the best predictor of future behavior, which means they're going to keep doing that because there's something bubbling. Yeah. So then that is that it doesn't mean necessarily they're going to act on it, but it means it's a it is a behavior that's saying I need something. So that's when they should really be seeing a professional. Got it. Got it. Yeah, it's such a it's such a difficult position it for the is. parent because you don't want to like enable it and have it become this. Right. Oh, this is how we're handling it. every situation, right. or ignore it, right. and then the worst thing right. possibly happens. And right. I think that's where a lot of um, parents, but especially all, moms, yeah. get very like come scared. Yeah, 
but yeah. always assess the situation make sure there's no weapons around there's no ability to get a knife or hurt themselves or whatever they say they're going to do and if you have concern remove belts remove anything they can hurt themselves with or hang themselves with or do anything with and be with them don't leave them alone and listen 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 hmm. they don't want to hear anything they want to talk yeah even if you have to draw with them or get a puppet and talk yeah. anything safe emotionally for them to emote hmm. because yeah. all it is is the build-up and, and having those conversations and again someone that cares about them right. makes them feel seen heard and right. safe right that they trust that just listens that's all hmm. it's a yeah it's a tricky time to be a parent and a tricky time yeah to be a kid for it, sure it's the same way 20 30 40 years ago listening is key yeah but it's hard for us to do yeah because we want to fix we love them and we want to make it better and we have to just accept they have to go through the steps yeah we can't push them through it yeah it's part of it's part of being a kid you got to test right. the boundaries but you got to also being part of a parent to like not want your kid to go through it all here let me just yeah no but you're hurting them more than yes. you're helping them when you coddle them yes because they missed step one through eight yeah and then when they're at step 10 they have emotional pain because nothing works and then they start using substances to feel better so let them go through their stuff on the substance topic i have i don't know if it was because my friends growing up was during the kind of the oxycotton thing and in our little community maybe um where you grew up as well it feels like it just ravished some of these places where it came through and i lost friends and so i've like i barely will take an aspirin or a tylenol and i've, I've been trying to take some That's ibuprofen great. i just i i it kind of freaks me out yeah. a little bit and yeah. i'm like oh i'll just it's kind of old school of like oh, i'll walk it off and be tough which is so stupid sometimes yes but a lot of the moms that we talk that i'm uh, talking to they'll be like overprotective like you're saying the coddling and then the dads are like he'll Let be fine walk yeah. it up and so you have two different parenting right. styles that right. can be hard to to right. mesh which i want to talk about as well but when it comes to medication it feels like almost all the parents i talk to their kids are on medication and i'm not a doctor i wouldn't give advice on any of these things but it does seem like there is an over prescribing in my opinion just a guy with an opinion in your practice i think what, what do you see when it comes to a parent and they're like i don't know the doctor's saying we should maybe try some different things for adhd or other other things that they're struggling with depression how do you kind of deal with that um as a parent well as a parent or as a doctor both well as a parent if my kid needs it yes if somebody recommends it i'm not going to be blind to it I'm not going to jump yes immediately. I will think about it and see the risk and the benefits and that there are other options we could use, non-medicinal things. As a doctor, you know, there's certain clinical criteria somebody has to meet in order to have a diagnosis. And then the severity of that diagnosis dictates what the parameters of the treatment should be. Is therapy enough? Is there a specific therapy? Is there medication? Is there all of that? You know, whatever. So I don't, I'm not a big prescriber of medicine unless it's needed. Yeah. I'll do things like, you know, caffeine for ADD or, you know, if people are chewing Nicorette gum, you know, nicotine, caffeine, whatever is better than being on Adderall. Yeah. <laughs> so, and use it as needed every now and then. But there's now, now newer drugs out that are not stimulants, that are not as detrimental for ADD. So sometimes I'll use those. Gotcha. But there's options. Case by case. Yes. It really yes, just yeah, depends on yeah, every, every, yeah. every, all these things are unique to that person's yes. situation. And their genetics and all that stuff. Yeah. Everything plays into it. If. But the other oh, yeah, go ahead. parenting style, when you have two different parents. That's what I was going to say, yeah. I write about this in the book. There's different parenting styles. You know, there's the overprotective and then there's the, you know, laissez-faire, like, oh, he could do whatever. Yeah. And when you have these two diabolically different parenting styles, that's where a kid goes right through the middle of these parents and splits them right off. And either they're going to end up in a divorce or it's going to be a triangulation of one parent and child against a parent. And it's just never a good dynamic. So figure yourselves out first as parents and you can have your styles, but know when to have them and who's going to take over and what situations, because otherwise, you know, whoever's getting beaten down is going to yeah. be quiet and then the other one rules and either you're going to have a policing parent and a kid who's afraid or you're going to have a parent who just lets the kid run amok who's a mess so figure it out back to starting with you yes get it figured out yes. with you and then your partner right because if you don't like page. your partner because you don't have a good marriage because your e and sweep isn't figured out 
it's going to play out in your parenting and your kids. You're going to let your kid get away with all this stuff because you know it's going to piss off the other parent. Like, that's not fair. Yeah. And then you get a divorce and then this kid goes back and forth between these homes with these angry parents. Hmm. We don't want that. We no. want their family unit together and yes. the values. And if they have to get a divorce, blend it nicely. End the stuff between you and your partner before you divorce. Yeah. Don't make your children pay that price. It's yeah. terrible. That's the hardest thing. That's the yes. hardest thing that I see is yes. well, when I'm uh, in these schools is it's bad enough when an adult has a difficult thing they're going through, but it's kind of because they made some bad decisions. Yeah. But so many of these things with kids are completely out of their control. Right. And it just, it just it's breaks your heart. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't, what parents don't understand is, yes, you might be mad at your husband and you're, he cheated on you and your kids know and you're okay, going to take your kids and move over here. doesn't matter. They still love their father. Yeah. He didn't cheat on them. You know, he cheated on you. Yeah. And so you're pulling them away. They're hearing negative stuff. That's their father. Yeah. So you're only killing your relationship with your kids. They're just afraid to show it to you right now. Yeah. But when they get stronger and more independent, they're going to rebel on you and they're going to be mad at you. So watch what you're saying and resolve that stuff between you and your partner. I love the work that you're doing, man. Thank I think you. it's so awesome. And they're really, I mean, this is so timely. I like to, you know, get with people when their books come out about a year after they come out. But uh, it is so timely of what's happening in the world. Uh, it does seem like there's an abandonment is, yeah. of, of family values, which is the cornerstone yeah. of all of it. Right. And um, I, I just appreciate you so much for the work that Thank you're you. doing. And the people that you're able to help and um, I was thinking this as, as, as we were talking earlier I'm kind of curious over this career that you've had that you didn't know you were gonna go this direction from starting you know hey I, I might be uh, doing acting or who knows dancing who knows what direction it could have gone right with clothes without yeah without clothes, clothes anything could happen what is the thing that has been the most rewarding in your time of doing this career is it and, it and it could be probably a multitude of things but is there something that stands out like a a person or a family or just um setting up the the system like that is there anything to you yes. that jumps to mind i'd love to hear what that was putting that system in place because now that i'm not there it's still there and it became a model for other places in the country other foster care systems so children entering a foster care system have standardized entry points they're seen by experts for health and mental health and they get care all the way through till they get out of the system or adopted and then that care continues somewhere in the community that's the best thing i can sleep at night knowing yeah. like over a million kids have matriculated through that system over 20 years that i've been there and that's just in la in and LA. now it's being replicated yeah it's so much in so and that's the best thing i love it i think when you find something that's bigger than yourself and yeah. that was a shift for me in my life of like finding your purpose like yeah. you're born two times the time you're born right. actually and the time you find out right. why right and um i i, I love that i, I want to end another it one coming what's that i have another birth coming you got another one okay yeah dr phil and i have a project we're working on all right and we'll stay tuned or is it something you can yeah. talk about well it we're gonna be doing it in dallas because that's where he's from yes yeah and he um is gonna have a bunch of shows on a network okay and i'll be one of them and i'll have you on it well i know that's been uh, in the works for a while down there? last thing one word of encouragement or hope i feel like hope is such an important thing um especially when it comes to some of these tough things that families are going through and and kids are dealing with do you have one piece of advice that you would share with parents or a message of hope that we can kind of wrap this up with and and drop the mic if you were going to give one piece of solid advice for parents listen to I'll your children you... listen to your children and do what's right it's that simple amazing it's hard though